Today we're going to learn about Bartle's player types. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 40th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. I'm also on Twitch for the occasional Game Dev stream. That would be twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. This week's episode topic was picked by the patrons. If you'd like to vote on an episode topic every month. You can become a patron. You also sponsor a third episode a month and you get a special discord role. I'll leave a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Lastly, we have an open community discord for everyone and it's really evolved into a great place for aspiring game devs to come together and share resources, ideas, and methods And it's just kind of a fun place to hang out, and I'm on there every day. So if you want to talk about game dev stuff, uh, feel free to reach out on the Discord. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners, and they send in a submission, and the submission is intended to help you get some reps in for a specific game dev skill. Usually it's like designing a game or an art challenge. It's just supposed to be like a 15 to 30 minute challenge. Um, You put your submission on the Discord, everyone votes on it, and I read the winner on the show. Episode 39's game dev challenge was to create some marketing materials for a game project And this could be a text description with screenshots, which is like a press kit like we talked about, a video trailer, or anything else um, you could have thought of. And if you'll remember, episode 39 was about marketing your game. And we talked about a lot of different strategies and kind of things you can make uh, to help your marketing effort. But the winner of today made something that I actually wanted to go a little bit more in-depth in, and I didn't in last week's show, so I'm actually kind of happy this person won. So, the episode 39 Game Dev Challenge winner is Yanny Boy. And what Yanny Boy did for his submission was he put together a banner image uh, for a game he's currently working on. The theme of his game is modern military clashing with old school pirates, and the objective of the game is to get to the treasure and shoot your opponents to get past them. Uh, but what Yanny Boy made was, like I said, a banner image. I've also seen them called capsule images. And what we didn't talk about last week, and what I kind of want to talk about, is that idea of capsule images. And Yanny's does a, a great job of a few things. The first thing I like about Yanny Boy's is it conveys the sort of theme of the game, the objective of the game, and the general, like, I guess vibe is the right word, uh, by showing off the art style. And yeah, I think it's important to communicate those kinds of things in a banner image or a capsule image. And the reason I keep saying 
capsule image. Capsule image is just what it's called on Steam. It's like the image of the game that appears next to the price. So I'm like, if you sorted Steam games by, I don't know, genre or something, you got the big list, you get the capsule image, the price, and the name of the game. So as you can imagine, the capsule image is extremely, extremely important. For a lot of people, it might be the only thing they see of your game that they make their purchasing decision on. It's sort of like a thumbnail for a YouTube video. I think for a good capsule image, you definitely want to convey, I think, three things. You want to communicate three things clearly. Number one, you want to communicate the art style. As we know, the art style is what a lot of people make their purchasing decision on. There's lots of art styles that work. There's lots that are interesting. Just make sure that you're showing off like the best art or your art in the best light, rather. And I kind of mean that metaphorically, not physically. <laughs> like, I don't mean the shading of the art. I just mean show it off in its best case scenario in the capsule image. The next thing you want to communicate is the genre of the game. I think genre is another thing that people largely base their purchasing decisions on. Gamers tend to not exist in a vacuum and they already know the kinds of games they like. So if you can communicate that in the capsule image, then they know this might be a game that they like just based on the genres that they already like to play. And third, which is kind of closely related to to the genre, you want to communicate the gameplay somehow. If your game is a racing game that's heavily dependent on like speed, then you want to make sure your capsule image gives that speed feeling. If it's a racing game based more on customizing cars, for instance, then you want to have that customization feature shown off in the capsule image. And having all three of these things is actually really hard because the capsule image is kind of small and there's only so much space so creating good capsule images is somewhat of a challenge and I think Yanny Boy did a great job with his and that is why he is the winner of the episode 39 game dev challenge for episode 40 this episode's game dev challenge I want you to pitch a game and describe how its features satisfy its targeted player types this can be a fictional game, or you can do it for an already existing game. Later in the show, we're going to talk about Bartle's player types and how you can use them to help make uh, design decisions about your game. And I figured this would just be a good, like, immediate exercise to use the information that you are going to learn today. So yeah, if you want to make a submission, just jump on over to the community Discord, go to the Game Dev Challenge channel, and type out your submission. The winner will be read on episode 41. With the Game Dev Challenge done, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is a topic that many would consider a fundamental game design idea. The topic is Bartle's player types, also sometimes called Bartle's taxonomy. Today we're going to break down what exactly Bartle's taxonomy is and figure out how we can apply the theory to our own game designs. So without further introduction, let's get started. Richard Bartle is the person who came up with the player types and he's a games researcher and professor and a lot of his work is applied to MMOs. 
In fact, interestingly enough, he created the first MUD, uh, which is called MUD1. And if you don't know what a MUD is, it's an acronym for a multi-user dungeon. And it's basically just a genre of games, kind of in the past, not very many are made these days. But it's a genre of games where it's a multiplayer text-based adventure. In a way, I guess you could consider MUD1 the very first MMO. And by that logic, Richard Bartle created the first shared virtual world. So yeah, I hope now you can see why his theories are considered fundamental and why his name carries a lot of weight. His ideas are fundamental to a ton of multiplayer games today, and over time other people have sort of built up and remixed his ideas so that they can be applicable not just to MUDs or MMOs, but also can be used to make more informed design decisions for all games. One thing I do want to point out here is that the paper that Bartle wrote these ideas in originally was published in 1996. So this entire theory is really not that old, and it's something that I actually think is really cool about video games research in that we're still in like the early days of discovery. I'm sure that some ideas I'm going to present to you today will be revised and adapted during my lifetime and game dev career. And really that revision process has already started and we'll talk about some of the criticisms of Bartle's player types uh, later. Anyways, let's get into the actual meat of Bartle's taxonomy or Bartle's player types. Bartle's taxonomy is a categorization or spectrum of player classifications based on what they enjoy most about playing a game. The four categories Bartle identified are achievers, socializers, explorers, and killers. We're going to talk about each category in a second, but first I want to talk about how they are organized. Each of these categories are placed on a spectrum with two axes. The x-axis is a spectrum that represents a player's preference for interaction with players, versus interaction with the world or game. So this would put things like socializers and killers more towards the left because they prefer interacting with other players, and it would put achievers and explorers more towards the right because they prefer interactions with the world or game. In addition to the left-right x-axis, there's also a vertical y-axis describing the nature of the action the player prefers. This access is a little bit harder to grasp and explain, in my opinion, but basically at the top we have direct action, and at the bottom of the vertical axis we have sort of a more open, nebulous, almost sandboxy action. By the way, these terms of how I'm describing the vertical axis are my own terms, uh, because I, make it, I think it makes it easier to explain. So if you look this up, you'll see the vertical axis described differently, but my interpretation is that the top of the axis is direct action and the bottom is that more nebulous, open, sandbox, sandboxy action. And yeah, that makes sense because at the top is where we have players that prefer direct action. So at the top we have the killers and the achievers. These are people who like direct binary outcomes. Either you defeated someone else or they defeated you. Either you beat the game and achieved that or you didn't. At the bottom I say we have more sandboxy nebulous actions because this is where socializers and explorers are. They prefer things that are less black and white. The social part of a game and exploration is more about 
sort of going with the flow. Like there's not a binary win-loss evaluation for the social or exploration elements of a game. Essentially, you make your own fun and goals based around those more nebulous things like discovery and social interactions. And I realize it might be hard to picture this diagram in your mind, so I'll post one in the Discord. And it's also a pretty easy Google, so I'd take a second to go look at the diagram. All you got to do is Google Bartle's player types and it'll come up. Of course, I'll leave a link to the community Discord in the show notes and there'll be a nice Bartle's player types diagram there too. Okay, so I think we now have an understanding of the overall spectrum. Let's dive into each of the categories themselves. Let's start with achievers. As the name implies, achievers are players who get enjoyment out of completing challenges and concrete metrics of succeeding in a game. These metrics would include things like character levels, special equipment, cosmetic items gained through challenges, achievements, like in-game achievements. I think in-game achievements actually are a pretty common way to cater to this crowd in modern MMOs and games. You'll want to design for achievers by giving them adequate challenges, oftentimes above and beyond what normal players might look for. 100% completion modes and achievements are often a good way to do this. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Some games, when you beat the story, are only like 80% complete. That's because there's still secret bosses, collectibles, challenge modes, and a bunch of other stuff that's left to complete. Most people, when they beat the story, that'll be enough for them. But for achievers, they get extra satisfaction out of having these bonus things to do. And this is why games often have extra challenge content. You might also call this kind of person a completionist. In multiplayer settings, you'll want to give achievers ways to show off their achievements. And this is where I'd actually argue for subgroups, or at least a subspectrum, which we'll definitely talk about later. But anyways, I think there are two extremes of achievers, and most people are somewhere in between. The two extremes are people who do a challenge because they enjoy the challenge, and people who take on the challenge for the notoriety and to show off. I think most people are a little bit of both, but I think everyone in a multiplayer game kind of slides a little bit more towards the show-off side because you want a way to show off your achievements, especially when you're in digital public. So yeah, I guess that's my quick argument for subgroups. But yeah, achievers on the whole, they like ticking off boxes, they like collecting achievements, they like completing challenges, and they get the satisfaction out of it, whether that be for the joy of having a challenge and overcoming it, or the joy of completing a challenge and showing off. Okay, next up we have explorers. Explorers are gamers who get enjoyment out of discovery and immersion. This would be things like finding a scenic area in the game world, finding an in-game book with backstory or lore, or even discovering a cool glitch or easter egg. Environmental details and world building go a long way for gamers in this category. Games like Skyrim and the Fallout series are good examples of games with discovery and immersion features that scratch that itch for explorers. Typically, explorers like to explore in their own way and don't like restrictions like time or boundary constraints. I think explorers can be one of the hardest player types to retain 
because the replayability of some kinds of content only allow for it to be discovered once. Procedurally generated worlds like in Minecraft are one way to get around this. Next up we have socializers. Socializers are those who get enjoyment out of games for the relationships they make with others via the game. This would be things like working together in guilds, mentoring newer players, or sharing information and trading. Socializers is one of the most interesting categories because I think it has changed somewhat since Bartle's paper was written. These days, socializers can take part in a game's community outside of the game. With the invention of Discord, YouTube, and really all social media, it's actually possible to take part in the social element of the game without playing it, like I said. In-game though, I think it's still important to consider socializers. In a single-player game, for instance, social players will get enjoyment out of a deeper and meaningful relationship with an NPC. You'll find this in games like Mass Effect or Stardew Valley. In multiplayer games, obviously you'll want good communication and organization tools to help facilitate these social interactions socializers crave. And the last category we have is killers. And killers is kind of a strong word, uh, but really it just means anyone who gets enjoyment out of competition with others. Specifically winning competitions against others or dominating a certain aspect of the game. And I say it like that because it doesn't always have to be killing. It can be expressed as maybe cornering a valuable resource so you have the upper hand on others when it comes to that resource. In single-player games, this would be your classic fun and challenging combat, or just the general ability to cause destruction and mayhem. I think GTA is a good example of this. You'll want to provide killers with these opportunities to have fun, and I think killers is one of the most direct player types to satisfy. As long as you give them an opportunity to compete and get the upper hand, they will be happy. Here's actually a really good and I think unexpected example. You don't think of a game like Fall Guys and think killers, but the way you can grasp and bump other players is, I'm sure, a deliberate design choice to cater to killers. Being able to grasp and bump other players like off the op obstacle course or into an obstacle or just in general to annoy them is a fun way to directly compete with the other people on the obstacle course. It's a good example of a game catering to a player type that maybe you wouldn't necessarily pick to represent that game right away. So now that we know all about the different player types, let's think about ways we can use this to better inform our game design and just the well-being of our game in general. I think the strongest point of understanding the player types is that you can identify which kinds of players you are designing for and this serves as a great guiding light for making sure that they're satisfied. The original paper is usually applied to in MMOs where you provide content for all the player types but I think it still applies to single-player games. You may not always be able to provide for all four categories unless you're making an MMO, but I think it can really help your game find its identity 
by focusing on one, two, three player types and making sure that those people are satisfied. Personally, for me, I think a sweet spot for a lot of games is at the boundaries of two player types that are not opposite to each other. So if you think about it, most competitive shooters land on that boundary of killers and achievers. Achievers like boosting the rank, they like unlocking new things, checking off those boxes of like get this many kills, get this many flag captures, whatever. Killers like the competition, the direct ability to dominate the opponent. So yeah, I think these two player types are really complementary to each other and work well in competitive shooters for those reasons. Let's think about a game at the boundary of socializers and explorers. This might be something like Animal Crossing. There's lots of opportunities for socializing and exploring in Animal Crossing, and it's not to say that there isn't value for the other player types, but I think socializing and exploring is like the core essence of what Animal Crossing kinda is. And I think that game has such a strong identity because the devs are aware of that. Let's give some more examples. A game like Among Us is on the boundary of killers and socializers. Among Us definitely has social elements. I mean, one of its key features is sort of the social gameplay of coming together and deciding who to vote out. But it also has satisfaction for killers, because one, not only can you sort of manipulate others and dominate the social game, but you literally... <laughs> kill off your competition for as long as you can. So yeah, I think that's a great example at the crossroads of killers and socializers. Let's talk about the boundary of explorers and achievers. I think Kerbal Space Program is a perfect game to represent this boundary of discovery and achievement. I think, in fact, that's the perfect way to describe Kerbal Space Program, like designing a rocket ship to go to the moon and having it be like a pretty accurate physics simulation requires a lot of skill and thus when you actually get to the moon it's rewarding because it's quite the achievement. But as soon as you complete that task of getting to the moon it makes you wonder how far and what else is out there thus catering to the explorers. And there are tons more of examples of where games lie on this diagram and I think the more you think about it you can basically put the reason why any good game is satisfying or fun to play to its audience on this diagram. Games that maybe aren't as satisfying or don't have as focused of an identity and thereby are maybe not as good of games, those games are a lot harder to place somewhere on this chart. You can have a super well-polished, well-made game, but if it doesn't know what it wants to be and who it's for, it won't be as good of a game as it could have been. So my best advice would be to know the player types and what they like and know which ones you're targeting and use that to guide your design decisions for your game. Basically boil it down to who is your game for and how will it be satisfying to them to play. I think if you design with this in mind, you'll be on a much better path to creating a good game. Lastly, here is where I want to briefly talk about the criticisms of Bartle's player types. Some people have said that the category system is not really that useful because it's too black and white, and they think a more component type or like recipe system would work better. 
This is because that some people believe that everyone has a little bit of each player type in them, so it'd be more accurate to say, okay, this player is 50% killer, 25% achiever, 15% socializer, and 10% explorer. And I think that's another way of interpreting it. Um, I myself would maybe worry that it doesn't help you focus your design as much as like we just talked about. For instance, how do you design a feature that's only 10% exploring? And at that rate, is it even worth it? I think maybe it's just a personal preference thing, like how you want to think about it. But yeah, I thought that was interesting and something I'd bring up. Also, there has been some push to get more descriptive subgroups. For instance, you could argue that there are players who like exploring the game world, and there's also people who like exploring the mechanics. They both get joy out of discovery and exploration in the game, but the aspect of what that really is is kind of two different and distinct things. Discovering a new way to use a mechanic and discovering a book with lore that teaches you more about the world, I think that is maybe two related but slightly different itches. Of course, I already made the argument for achievers who like it for the challenge and achievers who like it to show off. And I think Bartle himself even later revised his own categories to kind of go more in-depth. So yeah, if you're looking for future reading or research, that could be a fun place to start. The last sort of criticism or, I guess, limitation I want to talk about is... Where do you put people who are focused on the narrative of the game? The narrative itself can be compelling on its own, and I'm not exactly sure where it fits. Remember, this paper was kind of written with multiplayer games in mind, where maybe the narrative kind of was a backseat. In MUDs, for example, it's kind of like a virtual playground and a world which you are in and kind of make your own story. But I think narrative alone, it can be compelling and satisfying to a certain group of players. And yeah, I'm not exactly sure where it fits on the diagram. So yeah, those are just a few things to be careful and think about. And like I said, this is kind of a new science, and we're always learning and discovering more about this idea. So I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years there's a more in-depth Bartles player types or Maybe someone comes up with a new taxonomy. Maybe one day there will be a Zaccavelli's taxonomy. Anyways, let's summarize what we talked about today. Today's episode was on Bartle's player types, also called Bartle's taxonomy. It's a way of describing what kinds of players there are and what they like to do in games. And remember that they're divided by two axes. The x-axis being interaction with players versus interaction with the world or game and the y-axis being direct action versus the more nebulous sandboxy interaction. The four player types are achievers, explorers, socializers, and killers, and they're organized on this chart. Achievers like to tick boxes, increase their level, complete tasks, and beat the game. They like things like a 100% completion goal. Explorers like game immersion, discovery, and lore, Games with a deep, immersive world are usually pretty good for them. Socializers are all about the relationships they build while playing the game. They kind of have evolved to be able to get satisfaction outside the game through social media and communities. 
but they still value things in-game like guilds and deep NPC relations. Lastly, we have killers, which crave competition and domination. Remember, despite its name, it isn't always about killing. It can be satisfying to corner a resource in a strategy game, for instance. The benefit of knowing the player types is that you can focus your design to be satisfying for a specific audience, and this will make sure that your game has a strong identity. Remember to boil down your game design to who is this game for and how will it satisfy them. Lastly, remember that this idea isn't fully solidified and there are some criticisms like maybe a percentage component system would be better or maybe we should define the subgroups more. Where do we put narrative people? Stuff like that. Anyways, that's Bartle's player types and I think it can be a really powerful tool to make sure the foundation of your game design is good. If you want to talk to me about Bartle's taxonomy, maybe you have some more ideas for some subgroups, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore. You can do the same on our community Discord. I'm there pretty much every day. Don't forget that today's topic was picked by the patrons. If you want to become a patron, I'll leave a link in the show notes to the Patreon. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode. With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli, and maybe Zaccavelli's taxonomy should actually be for game devs. I mean, think about it. You've got your tutorial prisoners, your game jam addicts, and the worst of them all, idea guys. (laughs) 